0: Let's turn to our scripture reading this afternoon, which will come, first of all, from 1 Corinthians chapter 12, 1 Corinthians 12, and we'll read that chapter. Uh, Both of the readings are in connection with the Lord's Day that we'll be looking at This afternoon, Lord's Day 21, on the theme of the communion of saints. So we'll begin reading 1 Corinthians chapter 12. Now concerning spiritual gifts, brothers, I do not want you to be uninformed. You know that when you were pagans, you were led astray to mute idols, however you were led. Therefore, I want you to understand that no one speaking in the spirit of God ever says Jesus is accursed, and no one can ever say Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. Excuse me, except in the Holy Spirit. Now there are varieties of gifts, but the same Spirit, and there are var- there are varieties of service, but the same Lord, and there are varieties of activities, but it is the same God who empowers them all in everyone. All these are empowered by one and the same Spirit, who apportions to each one individually as He wills. For just as the body is one, and has many members, and all the members of the body, though many, are one body, so it is with Christ. For in one Spirit we were all baptized into one body, Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, and all were made to drink of one Spirit. For the body does not consist of one member, but of many, And God has appointed in the church first apostles, second prophets, third teachers, then miracles, then gifts of healing, helping, administrating, and various kinds of tongues. Are all apostles? Are all prophets? Are all teachers? Do all work miracles? Do all possess gifts of healing? Do all speak with tongues? Do all interpret? But earnestly desire the higher gifts. And I will show you a still more excellent way. So far from First Corinthians, let's also turn to First John, First John, Chapter One, verses one through seven. and with His Son, Jesus Christ. And we are writing these things so that our joy may be complete. This is the message we have heard from Him and proclaim to you, that God is light and in Him is no darkness at all. If we say we have fellowship with Him while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as He is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, And the blood of Jesus, His Son, cleanses us from all sin. So far, the reading of God's Word. As we reflect on what we've read, let's sing together from Psalm 26, stanzas 5 through 7. Every Lord's Day in the afternoon service, we turn to the Heidelberg Catechism, the confession of this Christian church, and also a summary of Christian doctrine. And we find ourselves this afternoon in Lord's Day 21, Question and answer 55, that's on page 535 of the books of praise, if you wish to follow along. There the question is, what do you understand by the communion of saints? First, that believers, all and everyone, as members of Christ, have communion with Him and share in all His treasures and gifts. Second, that everyone is duty-bound to use his gifts readily and cheerfully for the benefit and well-being of the other members. So far, the reading of the Catechism. Brothers and sisters in our Lord Jesus Christ, this particular article of the Apostles' Creed is one of the lesser-known articles uh, in the Creed, particularly in the Protestant tradition. Uh, If you speak to Roman Catholics or Eastern Orthodox, they make much of this line in the Creed. Uh, We often tend to gloss over it uh, because it doesn't really seem to us to be a profession of faith uh, in any uh, in any reality except that which we experience and and practice, we we experience and practice communion of saints, but it's not something we would think we need to profess our faith in, or so it would seem. Uh, but there is much attention outside of our tradition given to this creed, and it would be worth understanding, uh, taking a moment to understand why. Uh, This article is actually a late addition into the Apostles' Creed. It wasn't there in the earliest versions of the Creed. Uh, It was added sometime in the late 4th or maybe early 5th century. Uh, And what is particularly interesting and surprising about uh, this uh, article is the disagreement about what it actually means or what it even meant "...to the churches that first began to include it in the creed." There are basically three different understandings, completely different understandings, about what this this article even means. Uh, When it was first being added into the the local creeds of the different Christian churches, uh, in the East there was already, for a long time, a very similar article, also that, that would have translated to Communion of Saints, Uh, But they understood something very different by it. Uh, In the East, in their creeds, they they confess, we believe in the communion of holy things. Communion of holy things. Uh, And it's a reference not to people, but to the sacraments. Uh, for the the churches in the East. Uh, It was a reference to the Lord's Supper, uh, which at that time was already being regarded with a sort of mystical power so that it truly becomes an article of faith. It it has this power in itself. Uh, Given that that was happening, it's not surprising they had it in in their creeds at that time. Uh, And then it shows up in the Western Creed, in the Apostles' Creed, uh, in the century after. Uh, then in the West, there's, there's a, a further debate about what this, church, what this line meant in the West. Uh, we, we should bear in mind in the East, they spoke Greek. In the West, they spoke uh, Latin. Uh, and and in, the, in the West, it's very clear that it's not a, a profession of belief in holy things, but in holy people, a communion among holy people. Uh, And that leads to the the Roman Catholic interpretation of the the article. Uh, When they say, I believe in the communion of saints, they understand that not referring to the sacrament as such, but rather referring to the saints, particularly the capital S saints, the canonized saints from whom we draw merit for salvation. Also very different view of, of this article. So uh, they, the idea for them is since we are united to Christ, we are therefore united to the saints of all time, and we can draw from their merit as well as also pray to them. If you fellowship with someone, the argument goes, uh, could you not also speak to them and pray uh, to them or ask them to pray for you? Uh, So, that understanding was certainly there, even in in, in the times when this article was added to the Creed. The the cult of the saints was in in full swing already at that time. Uh, So, both the Eastern Orthodox and the Roman Catholics would accuse us Protestants of missing the meaning of this article in the Creed, though for different reasons. Uh, The third view is that of the Reformed churches, and that's the view I want to defend from Scripture this afternoon. Now, it's similar to the Catholic view in that we believe in the communion of holy people, saints, rather than things. We're not talking about the sacrament per se. Uh, But it's different from the Roman Catholic view. Uh, What we profess to be true is that we as saints have fellowship with Christ and therefore with one another here on earth. Now, that's not saying there, there isn't some sense you can talk about all saints of all time having a, a sort of fellowship together. We will enjoy that for eternity. But we live that out here on earth, not with the saints uh, in heaven. We don't speak to them, we don't pray to them, and we don't assume that they could even hear our prayers. Uh, This article is is based on biblical language, biblical way of speaking. Uh, Scripture also speaks of the communion or fellowship that the saints have with one another. Uh, The Greek word for communion uh, that this this article is based upon is is the Greek word koinonia, uh, which means fellowship. fellowship. Uh, And... While that's a good translation, uh, there's maybe a point of clarification needed. When we hear the word fellowship, uh, many, many Protestants today, our minds go to something like a fellowship hall, and we think of fellowship after church, coffee and cookies, that that kind of thing, Uh, but... But fellowship in Scripture is a much bigger concept than that. Uh, the Greek word, its original meaning is something like partnership or participation together in the Christian hope, uh, a mutual belonging to one another. Uh, the text that perhaps expresses that the most succinctly is the text we read from 1 John. And there the Apostle John says. Uh, That which we've seen and heard we proclaim to you, so that you may have fellowship, koinonia, you may have fellowship with us, and indeed our fellowship is with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. Uh, So the idea here is, if you belong to Christ, you not only have partnership or fellowship with Him, but because of that, you also enjoy that with all of the other saints. Uh, If we belong to Christ... We belong to one another, to put it uh, very, very succinctly. John says it again in in verse 6. If we say we have fellowship with Him while we walk in darkness, we lie and we do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as He is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. You might almost expect him to say if we walk in the light uh, as He is in the light, we have fellowship with Him. But John says, no, no, we have fellowship also then with one another. If you belong to Him, you belong to one another. Uh, So there's the basic concept. If you walk in the light, you enjoy fellowship with Christ and with other believers. Uh, That's the basic idea expressed in this article in the Creed. Uh, We belong to one another and enjoy communion or partnership or belonging to one another. Another, Now, that's a fellowship, then, that is made possible by the Holy Spirit. The Spirit dwells in us, and the Spirit uh, unites us, therefore, to one another. The same Spirit. That's what Paul emphasizes in, in 1 Corinthians 12. If you have one Spirit that dwells in you and in the Christian next to you, then you belong together. Uh, you have a shared participation, uh, koinonia, in the Spirit uh, he says, "In one Spirit we were all baptized into one body. Jews, Greeks, slaves or free, and were all made to drink of one Spirit." Uh, so the basic concept is is actually quite simple, even though there is some mystery to it. Uh, every Christian who's indwelt by the Spirit is, through that Spirit, united to Christ, and therefore also united to one another. Uh, This is why disunity within the body of Christ is so contrary to the gospel message. how can two Christians who share in the same spirit, who belong to the same Lord, are baptized into the same body, be at war with one another? That's the point Paul makes in Uh, Other parts of of 1 Corinthians where he sees this disunity and he says, were you not all baptized into one name? Do you not all partake of one spirit? Why then is there war or fighting among you? Uh, As Christians, uh, we are are taught from Christ himself, uh, wherever disunity exists, we are to hunt it down and deal with it. What Jesus says in Matthew 5, if you are offering your gift at the altar and there remember that your brother has something against you, forget it. Leave your gift there at the altar and go be reconciled to your brother and then come and offer your gift. Why? Because fellowship with Christ means fellowship with one another. And if it isn't there with one another, it isn't there with Christ either. Uh, We are called to deal with it because it does not belong in the Christian life. Uh, Where there is brokenness and disunity uh, with one another, uh, there is is some brokenness in our fellowship with Christ. Uh, So uh, we are called to deal with, with this disunity. Now sometimes that disunity is caused by sin. That, that's often the, the response that elders hear when they uh, try to broach an issue of disunity To say, well, that person sinned, and that's why uh, we don't get along. Well, if so, if that is true, uh, then your fellowship with one another means you have a responsibility for your brother or sister who you believe to be in sin. Uh, it, it makes it an urgent issue for you to also address uh, there's no biblical category for you having a brother or sister in sin and you being off the hook to not help them in their sin, to not care enough to intervene uh, in their life if you believe they are in in sin. Uh, we we cannot let the matter rest until the disunity is healed, in other words. Uh, th- those are uh, really the, the only legitimate... Uh, uh, outcomes: Either you, you you are restored to peace, or you continue to work together for that peace. Uh, but there's no there's no category for oh, we don't talk to them, uh, we don't we don't listen to them, uh, we don't speak with them. Uh, this is why Christ also then gave instructions for dealing with disunity uh, in the church. Uh, he tells you, speak to the brother who sinned if they have sinned uh, against you. Uh, if that fails, bring witnesses. If that fails, bring it even to the church. But nowhere does he give the option of just let it go, just leave it. Uh, don't, don't, don't speak with the brother and, and just keep your private relationship with Jesus and forget the fellowship with the church. Uh, so because we believe in the communion of the saints, we must, every one of us, deal with disunity wherever it exists. Uh, nothing within the church, nothing is someone else's problem. It is all our problem because we're brothers and sisters together. Now, I want to go back and address the, the Roman Catholic interpretation of this article where they extend it beyond just what happens here on earth to what happens uh, between us and the saints in in heaven uh, it is true as i mentioned earlier that uh, there there is a sense in which you can speak of us having fellowship with the saints of all times we will be together for eternity uh, and they are even now alive in the presence of Christ. They are also indwelt by the same Spirit. So there is a certain fellowship that we can speak of. We might also think, for example, of the picture that's drawn in Hebrews 12 of a great cloud of witnesses watching us run our course in this race. And we can think of the saints in in those terms. Uh, However, wherever Scripture speaks of fellowship between Christians, it is always the fellowship that is enjoyed and experienced here on earth. Uh, We are called to care for one another. Uh, We are called to confess our sins to one another. Uh, We are to pray for one another. Uh, But nowhere are we ever told that the saints in heaven are busy praying for us, much less that we are to pray to them to seek those prayers. Uh, even though we are then united to them in a certain respect, uh, there's no hint in Scripture that we experience an active fellowship with them uh, and communicate with them in any way. It's a striking fact that there's only one instance uh, in all of Scripture of someone communicating with the dead, uh, and that's Saul with the witch of Endor, uh, something for which he was condemned. Uh, There's no biblical record anywhere else of of communion with uh, the dead in terms of communication with them. Uh, There's no prayer you will find anywhere in Scripture offered to any of the saints. Uh, All the prayers you ever find are offered to God himself, the one whom Christ also taught us to pray to. Uh, so, uh, Roman Catholics might argue back, well, well, Scripture teaches us to pray for one another. So, what's the difference between me asking uh, my friend here on earth to pray for me uh, versus me asking a saint in heaven uh, to pray for me? Uh, well, the difference is this, uh, when, when I'm asking my brother to pray for me, uh, he will also be holding me accountable. He'll be coming back. He'll be saying to me, hey, I've been praying for you, and, and this has really been on my mind for you, and here's some encouragement uh, or admonition. Uh, it's a huge leap to assume that you have a similar relationship with the saints that have passed away, uh, to assume they can hear you, Where Scripture does not say that, they are not omniscient like God to hear uh, the prayers of of thousands of people around the world at at the same time. Uh, And the deeper question needs to be asked, why? Why would you pray to someone like Mary or to another of the saints instead of praying directly to God? This was the big question the Reformers asked. What advantage do you expect to have by praying to a saint that you would not have by praying to God Himself? Uh, There's an advantage I can have by speaking to my brother on earth because then he can also be involved uh, with me and, and pray together and struggle with me. But what advantage would I have by praying to a saint in heaven that I could not have by praying to God Himself? Uh, the saints are not going to come to me and and, and say, hey, this has really been on my heart for you, so uh, let me encourage you in this. They they don't do that. Uh, And the underlying belief that, that, that underlies that practice is you have a better chance of being heard by God if a saint's praying for you than if you're praying directly to God himself. And that, the reformers said, that's a problem. To believe that somehow God would not listen to you, but would listen to a saint who prays for you. That is a, a concern. Uh, because there is one mediator, is there not, between God and man. First uh, Timothy 2 verse 5, and that is the man, Jesus Christ. Don't look for any other, because God hasn't given any other, and also because you don't need any other. Uh, So if we were to understand the communion of saints as it's taught in Scripture, not as it's always been held in in Christian tradition, but as it's taught in Scripture, the communion of saints is the communion we have first with Christ and then also with one another here on earth. Uh, The communion of saints is then the reason why we we pray for each other here on earth, why we struggle together here on earth, uh, and, And why we anticipate here on earth, we experience here on earth, what we will ultimately enjoy forever in heaven together with the saints of all times. Uh, That's also why uh, this article is is held under the doctrine of the church. That's why it belongs in the same Lord's Day, because the communion of saints is essentially the church. It's the experience we have of living in the church. Uh, so, so, so we may we. If we understand that, that also then sheds light on uh, where where the other traditions have got it wrong. Now, there is some merit to what the Eastern Church believes that the communion of saints is is a communion we enjoy around the table. Uh, that's what the table is there. The Lord's Supper is there to express that fellowship uh, we have together. Uh, it's why it's a beautiful thing that in this church we still celebrate this around the table. It gives visible expression to that fellowship. But the fellowship is much bigger than just what we experience around the table. It's day to day. It's through the week. Uh, it's, it's, it's morning and evening as we encourage one another in the Christian faith. Well, let's now work this out then so for some implications for our church. Uh, if it's true that the focus of the koinonia, the focus of the fellowship, uh, is is our fellowship with Christ and therefore with one another on earth, what does that look like in practice uh, in our church? Uh, First of all, uh, I want to highlight an interesting use of the word, the same word, fellowship, koinonia, in Scripture, uh, where it's used to to refer specifically to the fellowship we have in offerings, in giving offerings. Uh, there, There are several examples. Romans 15, verse 26, Paul says, For Macedonia and Achaia have been pleased to make some contribution, and the word underneath that is koinonia. They've been pleased to make a koinonia for the poor among the saints at Jerusalem. So the whole word fellowship, communion is used to refer to uh, giving of gifts. Uh, 2 Corinthians 8 verse 4. uh, The church has begged us earnestly for the favor of taking part in the relief of the saints. There again, the underlying word is koinonia. Uh, 2 Corinthians 9 verse 13. uh, By this approval of By their approval of this service, they glorify God because of your submission that comes from your confession of the gospel of Christ and the generosity of your contribution for them and all others. And again, the underlying word is this koinonia, this fellowship. Uh, One more, Hebrews 13, verse 6. Do not neglect to do good and to share what you have for such sacrifices are pleasing to God. And underneath that word share is again this word Koinonia. Uh, what can we pull from that? Uh, we can recognize that that koinonia, fellowship, the communion of saints that we profess to believe, is expressed, one of its primary expressions, is in the giving of gifts. The financial gifts that we give to the, to the deacons for the care of the church is the visible expression of the fellowship we enjoy, not just with Christ, but also with one another. In fact, it's possible that this is the, the intended meaning in, in a very famous verse. We've, we've quoted it a bunch of times uh, as we've spent time in Lord's Day 21. In Acts 2, verse 42, uh, on the day of Pentecost, after 3,000 were baptized, it says, "...they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship," that's koinonia, uh, "...to the breaking of bread and the prayers." Uh, One of the great reformers, a man, John Echolampadius, uh, he had a great influence on on John Calvin, uh, understood that that koinonia, not to refer just to the the coffee and cookies fellowship, but rather specifically to the giving of gifts. Uh, And and he took that verse and and broke it down to identify the four main uh, parts of Christian worship every Sunday. Uh, The preaching of the word, the giving of offerings, the celebration of the Lord's Supper, and the public prayers. Uh, And you see that, in fact, uh, reflected in in Lord's Day 38, which talks about what what, uh, we do on Sunday. Uh, We we worship God, uh, and it says uh, that, "...I diligently attend the Church of God to hear God's Word, to use the sacraments to call publicly upon the Lord, and to give Christian offerings to the poor." Uh, recognizing those four main aspects. Uh, the giving of offerings is the most basic expression of that communion of saints. Uh, it's not just something we believe in abstractly. It's not just a doctrine we, we hold to be theoretically true. It's a doctrine we live out. Uh, it's something we, we do uh, in the giving of gifts. Uh, the ministry of mercy that's, that's led by the deacons uh, is something that's, that's practiced by the whole congregation as a way of expressing, we belong to one another. Uh, if we belong to Christ, we are brothers and sisters to one another. This is why the uh, ancient church, uh, as it's recorded in Acts, uh, even held all things in common. Not that they were communists, but they saw themselves as one family. Uh, and, and therefore, all property belonged to uh, one another. Uh, in that uh, in that context, that's how they expressed that communion of saints. And that's why communion, or, or sorry, that's why the giving of gifts has an important place in the worship service. Uh, it's part of our act of worship uh, that we say. Not only do we have communion of, with Christ. Not only do we sing His praises Sunday after Sunday, but we also express that communion visibly to one another. Now, at the same time, we we should also understand that the giving of offerings is not the only expression of that communion. Now, there are many others as well. Praying with one another uh, is, is something we're exhorted to do in the New Testament. Also, praying for one another. Visiting the sick and the lonely is an expression of that fellowship. Uh, admonishing and exhorting one another where we see weaknesses and struggles uh, we are also exhorted to do. Uh, looking out for one another. Uh, keeping a, an eye, as it were, on one another's life and faith. Encourage, to, to, to encourage and admonish where it's needed Uh, And that fellowship extends not just uh, to to this local congregation, but to the whole Church of Christ. This is why uh, we we pray also for those Christians that that suffer persecution. Today, uh, as I mentioned this morning, is the International Day of Prayer for the persecuted church. Uh, And we pray for them because we do have fellowship with them. Uh, Though we do not... uh, We cannot communicate with them for the most part, yet we struggle with them and pray with them. Uh, Hebrews uh, tells us, the book of Hebrews tells us, Remember those who are in chains, because you yourself are also in the body. Uh, So it's a whole life communion that says, uh, With Christ, I lay down my life for yours. We belong to one another, so I will serve you with all that I have and with all that I am. Uh, we saw a glimpse of this uh, a couple weeks ago when we looked at Romans chapter 12 uh, and, and all of the different uh, ways that the church can serve one another. And you see this a similar thing here in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. Now, the question that gave rise to the chapter was the use of spiritual gifts. Uh, but, but Paul goes beyond just the exercise of, of these particular special gifts to say... The communion is something much bigger. Uh, Verse verse 14, uh, The body does not consist of one member, but of many. Uh, There's a foot, there's a hand, there's an eye. Uh, People with different functions who serve one another together as essential parts of the body. Uh, The communion of saints, as it looks in practice, is a communion that is marked by mutual service. Uh, by commitment to each other and serving one another, regarding one another as essential members of the body. Uh, This means that uh, the Christian who's not interested in serving uh, has lost sight of the fact that he belongs to a larger body. That's what Paul was addressing in in Corinthians. These Christians that saw uh, everything as being about them and self-promotion, Paul says, you've lost sight of the fact that you belong to a body. They will serve you, and you are to serve them. Uh, That's that's one of the basic instincts of being a Christian, not just gathering together uh, with other Christians, but serving one another together. As Christ himself uh, also taught us, Matthew 25, verse 40, Truly I say to you, as you did this for for one of the least of these my brothers, you also did it for me. As we serve one another, we, we, we recognize we are serving Christ. As we bless, as we visit the, the lonely and the sick, we're not just serving them, we're serving Christ Himself, uh, their Lord and ours. Uh, so the Catechism uh, is not at all missing the point uh, of this article when it continues in the second half of its answer to say, uh, What do we understand by the communion of saints? That everyone is duty-bound to use his gifts readily and cheerfully for the benefit and well-being of the other members. Uh, That is the earthly expression of that that spiritual communion that we have. Uh, That's how we live it out. Uh, so this, this communion of saints is not just something we confess. It's not just an article of faith. It's also something we experience by God's grace here on earth and that we are committed to living out as long as Christ has us here in the church. Amen.